Amen. Amen. If you please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. If you're wondering where the Gospel of Luke is, it's in your New Testament, second half of your Bible. Luke is the third book in your New Testament. We've been looking at Luke chapter 9 this morning. Luke chapter 9. We're going to take you to verse 37 this morning. It is awesome to have you guys here. How are you guys feeling this morning? You guys feeling good? It's great to have you guys here. You guys are looking good. You guys are sounding great. And uh, we are so glad. We can get right into it this morning. I thought I would uh, begin this morning by letting you know we are doing a, a, something very special here at Thrive over the past month and into next week. It's called the Game Challenge. If you know what the game stands for, say it with me. It stands for the God and Me Experience. It's because we absolutely believe that you were made to experience God. That God isn't just a philosophy. He's not just an idea. He's not just an intellectual concept. But you were made to experience Him. That He loves you. You were made to know him and experience him in a personal way. And not just even on a Sunday at church, but every single day. Everyone say every day. And that's why during the game challenge, we've been encouraging you to be reading a little bit of the Bible, praying a little bit, growing that relationship with God. And that's what we've been doing during this game challenge, is that we've been going through the Gospel of Luke together every day, reading a little bit together. This, in fact, is the passage we'll be looking at today, which is the game challenge passage for this morning as well. Before we read this passage, I thought I would uh, give you guys a a little joke. Is that okay? Can I I share a joke with you guys this morning? All right. Okay. Uh, Now, uh, how many of you guys like knock-knock jokes? Okay, I know knock-knock jokes can be generally kind of corny. Uh, I find that, that, that at least. But uh, you know how a knock-knock joke works. I, I go knock-knock, and you say, who's there? And then I'll say something like hatch, and you say, hatch you. And I'll say something like, God bless you. I didn't know have a cold, that kind of thing. That's, that's, just, that's just a corny knock-knock joke. Here, here's a knock-knock joke that uh, hopefully you'll laugh at. I know that my son laughs at this often, uh, and hopefully you'll get it. I, I, I think there's three possible things that might happen after I share this joke, but here we'll just try it anyways. Here we go. The first one is this. It goes, knock-knock, interrupting cow. Moo! Okay, so that's the cow interrupting you before you can finish your sentence. Okay, next one here. Next one here. Knock-knock, Impatient interrupting cow. Moo, finally. Okay? Okay, that's the, that's the impatient interrupting cow because he's interrupting you in an impatient way. He says, moo, finally. Why do I share that weird and slightly corny joke with you? It's because today it has something to do with the message I'm here to share with you this morning. See, I got to admit that today's message, the title of it, is uh, influenced a little bit by this joke that my son likes to tell me, which is the one that I just told you right now, uh, which is uh, the, just the, the interrupting impatient cow says, moo, finally. Uh, today, the, 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 the topic that we're talking about or the title of the message is called, you can write this down, free, finally. Free, finally. Would you turn neighbor and tell them in uh, the most, like with a big smile on your face and say, free, finally. Free, finally. See, whereas a knock-knock joke, uh, and I I thought one of three things would happen. One is that you would laugh because you thought it was funny. Number two is you wouldn't laugh because you didn't think it was funny. Or three is you'd laugh because it was so not funny. One of the three. But the fact is this is, whereas a knock-knock joke is meant to make you laugh, today uh, we're looking at an event in Jesus' life that is really no laughing matter. Uh, It's where Jesus does something incredible and amazing in the life of a little boy, and we're going to be doing this together today. We're doing a series here called The Luke at Jesus, and this is our next edition. So look at Luke chapter 9, verse 37 with me right now. Read in a big, loud voice with you. Could you do that with me right now? One, two, three, it says, The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. 
a spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked this evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. But they were afraid to ask him about it. You see, when Jesus first began his public ministry... He said some very important words. What he did was he went to a synagogue and he took the, the, the scroll of Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll. Back then, Bibles were not you know, bound in books this way, but they were bound in scrolls. And so he would unroll the scroll. He finds the place in Isaiah where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to, repli- to release the oppressed. And see, we see Jesus doing that over and over again in his ministry. And in Luke chapter 9, where we just read, we see exactly that happening once again. Jesus meets a boy who has been beset by condition that he's had since he was a little boy, since he was a child. And through the power of his ministry and life, this boy is set free by Jesus. And you're going to find this, is that this passage we're reading today, it doesn't just appear in Luke. You'll find it in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 17 talks about it. You'll find it in the Gospel of Mark. Mark talks about it. In fact, they describe it in even more detail. Uh, they did their accounts of this event even earlier than Luke does. And so Luke, being the latest of the accounts, is the shortest of the accounts, probably because he already knew that Mark and Matthew had already addressed it. But let's look at what Luke says about this account. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 37. What does it say? It says, The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. You guys have that? Yeah? You guys have that? Can everyone say, The next day? The next day. See, the next day after what? See, Jesus had spent the night, the night before, on a mountain with his three close disciples. That's Peter, James, and John. He's experien- they're experiencing God in a very powerful way on the mountain. Now he comes back down into the valley where he meets a crowd of people with all their problems and all their requests and all their pleas for help. And it's no wonder Jesus would often withdraw the mountains to go and pray. And there's a lesson for us in this, and you can write this one down. It's so the first lesson of this passage this morning. Number one is this. It's to maximize your everyday effectiveness, protect your mountain times with God. Protect your mountain times with God. See, the fact is this. You weren't made to spend all your time just in the valley where all the responsibilities you have are, where your demands are, where you know, you've got difficult clients to deal with, where you've got business problems and issues to, 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 to resolve, where you've got decisions to make, where you've got frantic stuff that's going on, where you've got you know, exams to write or score to do or, or deadlines to meet. But you've got, you've got not just the valley, but you are also meant to spend time on the mountain as well. See, God made you... To to not just be in the valley all the time, but he made you spend time on the mountain with him as well. If you believe us, say amen. See, we can have mountain times. You don't have to actually physically go to Whistler or to Cypress or to Grouse to do it. You can actually do it, you know, in your own home. You can do it at church because mountain times, what are mountain times? Mountain times are the times you spend in close communion with God. 
when you just focus on God. It could be your time here on, on the weekend here at church. It could be when you're spending your one-on-one -on -one time with God, which we, which we call our game time. It's maybe time in your small group. It's where you t spend time focused on God, even if it means leaving the crowd for a little bit, even if it means getting away from the valley where there's so much to do, getting away from it a little bit. The fact is this, is that we all need mountain times with God. If you believe us, say amen. In, and it's not that these mountain times distract us from our valley. It empowers us to go into the valley. It enables us to be more effective to do the things we need to do. And so that's why we need to protect our mountain times. Turn to your and say, protect your mountain times. It's because your mountain times empower us for your valley times. Here, I was even talking this past week to a friend of mine who was telling me about how work has been so incredibly stressful for him to the point where he finds that one of the biggest temptations he goes through right now is he doesn't want to bring the stress of work home to his family, to his wife, but he found that in the past, especially this past year with work being so stressful that, that, he, that, that that's what he would inevitably or you know, without trying to end up doing is his stress, he'd bring it to the home and he wouldn't be in a great mood and so his wife would be affected, his kids would be affected and he just really wasn't happy about that. And, and, but, but he said, oh, but you know what, JB, like, the past two months have been so good. And I was like, why is that? Like, what, what have you done different? He says, these past two months, I've been reading my Bible, I've been going to church, I've been praying regularly. It's because these mountains times equip him and empower him to go into the valley. Amen. Amen. We need our mountain times. Turn to me and say, I need my mountain time. Amen. We need our mountain time. So protect your mountain time. Look at verse 38. What does verse 38 say? What is it? One, two, three. It says, a man in the crowd called out, teacher, I beg you to look at my son for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I know about you, but I know I find it as a parent, and I'm sure a lot of parents here can relate to this, is that for a parent, there's hardly anything that's more distressing for a parent than when their child is sick for an extended period of time and you don't know what to do. You don't know what the solution is and you just, you're, you're kind of losing your mind a little bit because you're just like, what is happening to my baby boy, my baby girl, my daughter, my son? And, and this is the situation that this one father is in. We don't know his name, but we know his situation, which is that this, this father has a son who is suffering from a terrible condition for an extended period of time since childhood. And, and as a result, he doesn't know what to do. He has no solution for it. He's gone to doctors, can't find a solution for it. And, and, and see, this is the situation that Jesus encounters his first decision, his first issue after coming down from the mountain is this issue that he has to deal with. And see, you might be asking yourself in the back of your mind, why would a loving God allow a child, and this child probably no more than between 4 to 12 years old, why would he allow a child to go through such suffering? Why? Have you asked that question before? Maybe you've heard something in the news about, you know, something happening, something tragic happening. Oh, God, why would you allow something like that to happen? And, you know, if, if, if you ask different people, you get different answers. If you, if you ask someone who believes in the laws of karma, they would say to you, well, you know, the boy probably did something in this life or in a past life that caused him to suffer now, is that he's getting his just desserts. This is the law of karma, is what some people would say. If you ask an atheist, they might say something, you know, I, I don't know exactly why this is happening, but I can tell you that God's not involved. He's not in the picture. He doesn't exist. Life is just life. You just have to go deal with it. Life is just life, and stuff happens, and we just have to deal with it. Sorry, it's not a very hopeful thing I can say. And in fact, we'll find that people who take an atheist position in life, it's very, it's a very hopeless kind of position at the end, to the point where sometimes we'll find that atheists, when they, when they hit tragedy in their life or the 
life with someone they love, they'll have to borrow from spirituality. They'll have to, you know, they'll, they'll say, you know, thoughts and prayers or something, or, or just, you know, I'm thinking of you, uh, you know, because, what, and, 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 or oh, at least he's not in a, at least he's not suffering anymore, as if they know that or not. It's, 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 it's one of those things where atheists, they'll borrow from spirituality because they have nothing else to hang on to because that's what the atheist worldview is. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a hopeless kind of worldview. There, there's another one. If you ask a new age philosopher, uh, and, you know, why do you think this is happening? Why would God allow this? The, you know, they, they might say, well, you know what? This boy is not really suffering at all. Suffering is not really real. It's just a, it's just a, a construct of our mind. But if you ask a Christian, you know, why is God allowing something like this? I think the Christian response would be, you know, pain is real. Suffering is real. Evil is real. And, you know, sometimes suffering and pain are the result of our own choices. Sometimes suffering and pain are the result of the choices of others. Sometimes suffering and pain can result from things that we don't have any control over. But one thing we also know is that not only is pain and suffering real, but God is real as well. And that God, he doesn't allow pain because he's cruel. It's not because he's not there, he doesn't care. But God allows pain because at the end of the day, even if that pain was not one that he intended or wanted to happen, he will use that pain to write a greater story than anything we could write ourselves. Ourselves. And so what's the lesson there? You can write this down. One of the second lessons we can write, we can write down from this passage is this is whenever God allows pain in your life, it's not because God is cruel. It's not because God isn't there, doesn't care, but it's because God is writing a greater story in and through your life than you yourself can imagine. Are you going through a painful time right now? Maybe in your marriage, in your family, someone you love, maybe in your business, stuff is tough, you know, uncertainty in the future. I'm here to tell you this. God has a purpose in this season of your life. Is that he's not distant. He's right here. He's, 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 he's going to do something with that situation that is far beyond all you could ask for or imagine. He might not have wanted you to suffer the way that you had to suffer, but he's going to ultimately use that situation to write a greater story than anything you could write for yourself. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. He's a God who writes greater stories than what we could write ourselves. Now, in this case, the kind of suffering we're reading about today is not a sickness physically, necessarily. Uh, it's not the kind of suffering that we would ordinarily, on an everyday basis, encounter. Uh, it's, it's not a financial crisis that we're talking about. Rather, this boy, the Bible says, is suffering because of an evil spirit. And see... In fact, today we're talking about a topic that I don't know if we've ever touched on before here at Thrive. I wouldn't have planned to talk about it, but it's in our Game Challenge booklet today. We're talking about evil spirits today. And, and see, the fact is this, is the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, acknowledge the existence of evil spirits. They acknowledge the existence of Satan, who's also called the devil. He's also called the accuser. He's also called the thief. And see, every single writer in the New Testament, in fact, acknowledges the existence of Satan. You ask Matthew, you ask Mark, you look at John, you look at Luke, you look at you know, what Paul writes, you look at what Peter writes, you look at the writer of Hebrew. You look at James, even the shortest book in the Bible, Jude, each and every one of them talks about the existence of Satan, and each of them all talk about all this ongoing conflict between God and Satan, and how God and Satan have two different agendas for our lives. God exists, Satan exists, and their agendas for our lives are two very different things. Look at John chapter 10, verse 10. What does it say? It says, this is Jesus talking about Satan, who's called the thief. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, in other words, God's agenda for your life is that you would know life to its fullest. 
that you would experience life for all that it was meant to be in your relationships with God, in your relationships with people, that you would experience life to the very fullest. God loves life. He is life, and he wants to give life to you and to me. But see, Satan, his agenda is the complete opposite. Satan's agenda, he's called the thief. His agenda in your life is to steal, kill, and destroy your life as much as he can. Now, you might be thinking, well, what does Satan have against me? What did I ever do to him? The fact is, it's because Satan hates God, rebelled against God, considers God his enemy, And one of the best ways that you can hurt your enemy is to take away what your enemy treasures the most. And since the Bible says that what God treasures more than anything else is people, Satan makes it his goal to take away as many people as he can from God. And see, we talked about this a few weeks ago, is that God's preferred way of destroying you, to stealing, killing, destroying your life, is to destroy you without you even knowing that Satan is there. Satan's preferred way of destroying you is to destroy you without you even knowing that he is there at all. You don't, if you don't notice him, he doesn't care. He's okay with that. It's because if Satan can get you to believe that God doesn't exist, then you know, that's all that he needs. You don't, he doesn't need to do much more work with you than that. Like a thief, he likes to act and operate covertly, quietly. But sometimes, from time to time, Satan will need to make his presence felt. And we talked about one of the ways he does that a few weeks ago. When we talked about the temptation of Jesus is one way through temptation. Everyone say temptation. Is where, you know, Satan will try to influence you to do something that you know is wrong. It's death disguised in something attractive. You know, maybe it's to sleep with that person that you know you're not married to, you're not, you're, you're not supposed to be with. It's about, you know, taking a shortcut that you know deep down is wrong, but you're, oh man, life would be so much easier if we took that shortcut. See, temptation is death disguised as something attractive. That's one way that Satan will sometimes make his presence felt in our life in, for the purpose of stealing, killing, and destroying our lives. But there's another way that Satan makes his presence felt, and that is this. It's a little bit less subtle than temptation. What is it? It's disturbing you through the work of evil spirits. And see, just as God has angels that act as his agents, Satan has agents as well. They're called evil spirits or demons. What are evil spirits? Evil spirits are essentially fallen angels who've aligned themselves with and subordinated themselves under the agenda of Satan who wants to kill, steal, and destroy our lives. Look at Ephesians 6, 12 with me. And in a big loud voice, could you read it with me? One, two, three, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, though we can't with our physical eyes see evil spirits and demons throughout Jesus' ministry, over and over, you're going to find Jesus encounters people who are struggling with evil spirits. They're either possessed by an evil spirit or oppressed by an evil spirit or otherwise disturbed by an evil spirit. And so he'll go up to that person, he'll rebuke that evil spirit that is hindering that person and cast that evil spirit out so that that person is free finally. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever encountered an evil spirit before? Ever been disturbed by an evil spirit before? You know, maybe you're here in this place and you don't believe in evil spirits. You're like, you know what? I think evil spirits are just make-believe. I think evil spirits don't exist. I believe that this is a product of our superstitious thinking. They're a construct of our primitive fears. And so, you know, we should have long evolved, uh, you know, from these kind of ideas by now. And so you think that those who claim to battle evil, evil spirits are really just battling mental health issues. And that what they need is not spiritual deliverance. What they need is a psychiatrist. And see, if, if that's what you believe, here, here, let me tell you where I stand on See, I, I believe this is that we need to exercise great discretion and discernment when trying to determine when someone's issue is a mental health issue, which requires counseling and maybe medication, 
or if it's an issue or a problem that has something to do with some demonic activity where deliverance is necessary, or it's maybe a physiological issue where they just ate too many McDonald's fries. You know, it's where it's just, is it a diet issue? Is it a, is it a disease issue? Is it a demonic issue? We need discernment to determine whether it's one or another or a combination of these different things. But one of the extremes that we need to avoid is to blame the devil for every problem we face. Because that's not just that's just simply not the case. The, the, the devil is not the, the cause root of the root cause of every single problem you face. And, and so, you know, oh, the reason why I can't buy a home in Vancouver is because of the devil. It's because of evil spirits. Oh, the reason why, oh, honey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm late. I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't call. Oh, it's because of evil spirits that have. You, know, you, you don't you don't want to go to extremes and blame everything on the devil. That's one extreme. But there's another extreme, which is where you completely deny that evil spirits or Satan can have, can have any impact at all in your life. That's the other extreme, and we want to avoid these two extremes. You know, growing up in Vancouver, I'd heard about evil spirits before, but, you know, the first time I think I had anything like an encounter with evil spirits was when I was about 19 years old. I can remember, uh, you know, I was napping on my parents' couch at my parents' place. I was still living with them at the time. I can remember it was like it was an afternoon where I'm just lying down on my back, and I'm sort of in that, like, kind of half asleep, half awake. I haven't really fallen asleep yet. And, and, and when I suddenly, as I'm lying there, I just sense for some reason this very cold presence of evil around me. And, and it was one of those things where I'm like, oh my goodness, what is that? And, and I, I try to get up, but I can't. I, I try to sit up, but I can't. It's as if I was feeling like something was almost like, pu- like something invisible was almost like pushing me down such that I couldn't get up. And, and so, you know, I, I'd heard people talk about, oh yeah, like when, when, whenever you face kind of spiritual warfare, as they call it, that you, you don't want to use the name of Jesus and get in, Sa- in, in Jesus' name, Satan, get away from me. And tried to say it. I, I was like, in Jesus', in Jesus name, Satan, get away from me. That's what, try- what I was trying to say. But the words just couldn't come out. And after uh, struggling for maybe another half minute to a minute or so where I'm trying to get up and I can't, finally I'm able to let out the words, in Jesus' name, Satan, Satan, get away. And at that moment, at that moment, that presence, that evil presence, that evil presence, I don't know what it was, just kind of left the room. And I immediately got up from there and said, what in the world was that? And you know, by this point, I was a Christian already. By this point, I'd already placed my faith in Jesus Christ. By this point, I was reading my Bible on a daily basis. By this point, I was growing in my relationship with God, and I thought I was in a good place with God. You know, it was one of those things where nonetheless, something like that happened. I still, I experienced that, and I didn't experience that just once. I experienced, over the course of my life, I've experienced that maybe, maybe two or three times. And, you know, I remember once I was staying with a missionary family living in their home, and we're all kind of getting ready for this big day where we're all going to go and kind of share about Jesus. And, and I remember one of the kids of this missionary family, he, uh, he's less than 10 years old, super young, and he was going to share his story about how God impacted his life, and he's going to share it with uh, other kids his age. And I just remember the night before this big day when this kid is about to share his story, also called his testimony, I remember I'm sleeping upstairs on, on the top floor of this house, and I hear a scream this big scream, obviously from the child, or one of the kids, and I'm like, what was that? And I, I, I go downstairs to kind of make sure everything's okay. I, I go into the room, the parents are there, and I, and I see the kid kind of like hunched over on his bed, and he's screaming his head off. He's crying profusely, but it's like he's not even really fully awake, and, and, and he's just kind of screaming, and he's, he's kind of like shaking, and, and he's making kind of like weird sort of animal noises, and, and I'm like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And I was like, has this ever happened before? They're like, no, this is never happened before what we, we don't really know what this is and so we all just start praying and, and I remember I, I laid my hand on his shoulder and I just really gently said in Jesus name Satan get away from this child 
in Jesus' name, Satan, get away from the child. And at first there was a bit of a shiver and a bit of a, bit of a shake and, and just kind of kept on kind of screaming. Crying. And I said once more, in Jesus' name, Satan, get away from this child. And all of a sudden he slumped over and he fell asleep. And then he woke up and he couldn't remember anything that happened the next day. And he shared his testimony beautifully that day, the next morning. And, 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 see, and here's the thing. Is I, I think I learned a few things about that uh, from that experience is this. Is the first thing I learned is that you don't need to be all up into satanic worship to be affected by evil spirits. Uh, you can be living what you think is a normal life, serving Jesus even, believing in Jesus, and you can encounter issues with evil spirits from time to time. The second thing I learned from that experience is that knowing how to resist evil spirits is not just something for pastors to do. It's not just something for missionaries to know how to do it. It's something every follower of Jesus needs to know how to do. It's because from time to time, you may face that kind of situation. And for the, so for the sake of your family, for the sake of your marriage, for the sake of your own well-being, you need to know how to take a stand against Satan and evil spirits. If you believe us, say amen. And see, what I want to do today is I want to give you a basic framework for understanding and knowing how to deal with evil spirits so you can take a stand, on the, a stand against evil spirits if you encounter them, if ever you encounter them in your home, if ever you encounter them like, you know, in your life, that you know some stuff about how to deal with them. First of all, let me begin with four truths about evil spirits. These are four lessons we can learn about evil spirits in Luke chapter 9, verses 35 to 45. The first one is this. You can write this down. One of the, well, the first one is this. Is evil spirits are real. Evil spirits are real. You don't want to flirt with them. What does flirt with evil spirits mean? Uh, we're going to get to that in a, in, a, in a bit. That's the first lesson. Evil spirits are real. Uh, number two, Jesus Christ is greater than evil spirits and has authority over all evil spirits. Jesus Christ is greater. Turn around and say, Jesus Christ is greater. Just like the song we sang, you are stronger, you are stronger. Jesus is stronger than any evil spirit you will ever encounter. He has authority over all of them. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11 together with me. This is such an important verse, especially in the context of what we're talking about this morning. Let's read in a big, loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross therefore god exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father would you look with me at verse 9 one more time Verse 9 says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. He's talking about Jesus. God exalted Jesus, his son, to the highest place, gave Jesus the name that is above every name. And then verse 10 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. If you have your Bible in front of you, open to that verse. Would you underline those words? In heaven and on earth and under the earth. Does it, what does that mean? That means that in heaven where the angels are, on earth where we are, and under the earth is a reference to hell. It's, it's talking about, if, if it doesn't matter if it's an angel or it's a human being or if it's an evil spirit, a fallen angel, that all knees will bow to Jesus. That there's not a single evil spirit in the world or in the universe that is greater than Jesus, that Jesus is greater and and every knee should bow to him, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Turn to your neighbor one more time and say, Jesus is greater. 
Jesus' name is the greatest name in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and such that even in hell, evil spirits must bow to the name of Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 42. It says this. It says, Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion, but Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. You know why Jesus could do that? Because he's the name of every name. He's the name of every name. The boy was no match for the evil spirit, but the evil spirit was no match for Jesus. No matter how powerful you think an evil spirit is, Jesus is far, far greater. That's, if, if you love Jesus for that, give Jesus a big, big hand here in this place. Jesus is the one who's the name above every name. You will never encounter evil spirit that has, can ever compare to Jesus. Number three, Christians have been given Jesus' authority to overcome evil spirits. That's the third lesson you need to know, is that if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, open up your heart to him, and you know what that means? Is that Jesus Christ miraculously, mysteriously, amazingly has given you his authority to overcome evil spirits. See, Jesus, he gave it to his 12 disciples to start off with. He authorized them to go and cast out demons. Look at Mark 6, verse 7. What does it say? It says, calling the 12 to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. He takes the 12 disciples, the first 12 disciples, gives them authority over evil spirits. And it's almost like this is when, say you, see, you have a police officer who's standing on a busy street. Maybe it's Granville Street. Maybe it's Westminster Highway. Maybe it's Highway 99. Standing on on that street, that busy street, and say a semi-truck is coming his way, you know, a police officer can stand on that road and just go like this, maybe blow a whistle, and what will the semi-truck do? The semi-truck will come to a halt. Let me ask you why. Is it because the police officer is a lot more powerful or a lot stronger than the semi-truck? Not even close. The the semi-truck could bowl him over easily, but the the reason why the semi-truck stops is because of the police officer's authority. It's who he represents. It's that he's been given authority that enables him to even stop a semi-truck. In a similar way, Jesus has given his followers authority over evil spirits. 1 John 4, 2-4 says it this way. Read with me, big loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Another name for Satan which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Verse 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Who's the one who's in you? Who's John talking about? He's talking to Christians everywhere. And so when he says the one who is in you, who's the one who's in you? His name is? His name is? Jesus, and Jesus is greater than the one who's in the world. He's talking about Satan. And so in other words, Jesus is greater than Satan, and because Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, lives in you, you have authority over evil spirits. And see, if you place your trust in Jesus Christ, what that means is you're not just forgiven of your sins. You're not just someone who's cleansed of your past. You're not just someone who's chosen and called a child of God. You're not just a citizen of heaven, but you are now a representative of Jesus on this earth, an authorized distributor of his love, an authorized representative who gets to exercise Jesus' authority against evil spirits. And so if you have Jesus in your life, what does that mean? You don't have to be afraid of evil spirits. 
You don't have to fear them. The best protection we have against evil spirits is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can resist the devil thus, and he will flee. Look at James 4, 7 with me right now. What does it say? It says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's an important promise. Resist the devil, and it's not he might flee, or maybe he'll flee. It's he will flee from you. That's not because you are powerful. That's not because I'm powerful. It's because Jesus is powerful and he's given his authority to you. That's the first thing. Look at First, first Peter chapter 5 and 8 and 9. Read it with me loud voice. One, two, three. It says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You've been given authority. Turn around and say, you've been given authority. You've been given authority. That's why parents in this place, if you're a parent in this place and you've got young children especially, I want to encourage you today is I want you to encourage you to not be afraid to exercise the authority that God has given to you as the spiritual leader of your home. Is that there are going to be times when you might find in subtle ways or even obvious ways that you feel like Satan is trying to get at your family or get at your marriage. You want to use the extra, you want to exercise the authority that Jesus Christ has given you whenever you sense that to say in Jesus' name, Satan, get away from my home. In Jesus' name, Satan, get away from my kids. In Jesus' name, Satan, get away from my family. Get away from my daughter. Get away from my son. This home belongs to Jesus. Amen. Amen. You've, given, you've been given the authority to have it, so use it. See, a lot of people, they, 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 they think that God's responsibility is to resist the devil. No, that's our responsibility as well. Resisting the devil is your responsibility. That's why James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Some, I find this is that some, sometimes Christians will make two mistakes. The first mistake is that we, we will ask Satan to go away instead of commanding him. Oh, please, Satan, pretty please, would you please leave us? Would you please stop bothering us? You know, you're being way too nice to Satan, right? He is not your friend. He's your enemy. Don't ask Satan to go away. Use the authority God has given to you to command him to leave. Say, Satan, in Jesus' name, you're not welcome in this home. Get away from this place right now in Jesus' name. You can say that. Another thing you can do, another mistake I find Christians can sometimes do is they'll say, God, please make Satan go away. Oh, God, could you please, I pray, God, please make Satan go away. But this this is the thing. Resisting the devil is our job. It's our job. With God's help, but it's our job. It's our responsibility. Sometimes it's sad how sometimes we expect God to do the things that he asks us to do, and we want to do the things that God's in charge of. We want to run our lives, and we want him to resist the devil for us, when in fact it's he's the one to run the life, and we are the ones to resist the devil. Amen. Because of the authority he's given to us. Number four, four, fourth truth that you need to know is the key to exercising your God-given authority over evil spirits is having faith. It's having faith. And what kind of faith? This is very important. It's not faith in yourself or your, in, in your power, your ability, but it's faith in Jesus and his overriding authority over your life. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 40 and 41 with me. It says, I begged your disciples to drive, out, drive it out, but they could not. Verse 41, O unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. See, why was Jesus so frustrated with his disciples? To the point where he says, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I put up with you? That's Jesus being frustrated. That's probably one of the more frustrated moments that you will find Jesus frustrated. You don't think of Jesus being frustrated often, but this is a frustrated moment for Jesus. And, and, and see, Jesus, he's like, oh, why do I have to put up with this? Why was Jesus frustrated? It's because Jesus had already given authority to his disciples to drive out the demon, but they didn't exercise that authority properly. They didn't exercise it effectively. Why? Three words, lack of faith. 
lack of faith. See, in Matthew chapter 17, which is Matthew's account of the same event, Matthew writes about how, one more detail that Luke doesn't mention, the disciples actually, after, after Jesus drives out the demon, um, and, and, and the boy is healed, restores him back to the Father. You know, the, 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 the disciples come to Jesus and go, Hey, Jesus, we're, we're a bit embarrassed. Why, why, why couldn't we drive him out? Why, why couldn't we drive him out? Jesus says this. He says, Because you have so little faith. And says, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. You'll notice this, is that when it comes to accessing the most important blessings God has for your life, salvation, forgiveness, wisdom, healing, it all is accessed through something called faith. And you're going to notice what kind of faith does Jesus expect us to have? It's not faith in ourselves, like, oh, I can do anything. I believe I can fly. No, 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 nothing like that. It's, it's faith in Jesus and faith in his authority. It's faith in who Jesus is and what authority he has, not in my ability to look strong and to shout loud. It's not about that. It's you can shout softly. You can even speak quietly. And if you're using it, if you're believing in Jesus' authority, there is power behind your words because it's Jesus' authority that you have your faith in. Amen. Amen. And so it matters where you put your faith. It's not just about having faith generally. Oh, I believe. I believe. But it's about I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the name above every name. And so there is no devil, there's no evil spirit that can come against me because I have Jesus and his authority. Amen. Let me just switch gears a bit as we finish off today and talk about this. Is How do you know if you might be troubled by an evil spirit? See, I, I want to make sure that you guys get some of these words, uh, you know, uh, in, in your mind. Is I, I use the word might be, and I say might be because it is possible that some of the problems we're going to be talking about in just a bit may be symptomatic of an evil spirit troubling you, or it could be a mental health issue, or it could be a dietary issue maybe, or it could be a combination of all three. And so we just don't want to come to snap judgments about these things, but this is just the point. The point is this. Don't close off the possibility that this problem or these problems that we may be talking about later on today may have something to do with evil spirit activity. The second word that is important is troubled. Everyone say troubled. See, notice I don't use the word possessed. I don't use that word. Here's why. You ask most Christian leaders today who spend a lot of time doing deliverance ministry, and they will tell you that actually full-blown demon possession where a person is just completely taken over by a demon, uh, that's actually relatively rare. What's more common is for people to be living their ordinary lives and seemingly in very normal ways, but in one area of their life, in some way, they are disturbed by an evil spirit. Or as Luke 6, 18 puts it, they are troubled by an evil spirit. In other words, that person lives fairly normally, but in one area of their life, an evil spirit has somehow started to cause a disturbance. What are some clues that a person might be troubled by an evil spirit? Here's just a few. Just a few. These are not all, but just a few. The first is this, irrational fears. Irrational fears. When you almost say to yourself, you're going to die. Your family's going to die. It's all going to go to hell. It's all and just, this, this fear that you, you know it's, it's almost like you're even surprised you're getting, having this thought. You're not being tempted with something attractive. That thought is not attractive to it at all. If anything, you are troubled and repulsed by that thought, but it just keeps on coming for some reason. I know it's not from God because God is God of peace. He wouldn't say something like that. So where is that coming from? It could be from an evil spirit. Another one is this, is you hear a voice of self-condemnation. You're such a loser. No one loves you. You might as well die right now. That's a voice of condemnation against you. Another one, you hear a voice leading you to harm yourself or to harm others. Drive into that tree now. You know, jump off that balcony. You can do it. Do it. Jump. 
you know, run into that car. It's, and you're going to find this, it's just weird how when, when you look at the Gospels and you read of Jesus delivering different people of demonic activity, their demon possession is often marked by self-harm. It's where these people take rocks and cut themselves. It's where, in fact, Mark, in his account of this passage we've been reading today with this boy who was, who was struggling with this demon since childhood, is that this, this demon apparently would try to get this boy to, to jump into fires, to jump into deep water, to kill the boy. It's because his, his agenda is to kill, steal, and destroy. And it's kind of funny. That's 2,000 years ago, but you find that often when people are dealing with evil spirits is that there is a tendency towards self-harm to, you know, just even hearing voices like, you know, like, you know, just go, go and just run into that wall right now. Drive into that wall right now. Who cares? Just do it right now. It's, this, this, it's this, this, this tendency toward harming yourself or harming other people. Another one is this, is you sense a presence of evil. Almost like someone saying, you belong to me. You will never escape. There's another one, is you, is that you find yourself sometimes acting in a strange way when being prayed for. Is that, you know, you, you, you're, someone's trying to pray for you, maybe a pastor, maybe a small group leader, and you just can't really focus. And it's not just that you're tired, you had too much caffeine, but it's kind of like, it's just habitually, for some reason, it's just weirdly, for some strange reason, you're totally okay. But the moment you get into an atmosphere of worship, the moment you get into an atmosphere of prayer, it's like all of a sudden there's a disturbance. You, you, you can't really hear properly, you can't really focus properly. You, your, your body starts to, you know, kind of act in weird ways. These are not from God. These, how does these happen? How does this happen? It could very well be the result of some kind of evil spirit trouble. Now, ways we give evil spirits a foothold in our lives, let's talk about that right now. What is a foothold? A foothold is if you're a mountain climber, a foothold is just enough room on that mountain ledge for you to put a foot on so you can keep on climbing. And see, the Bible says don't give the devil a foothold. What are some things that we can do that can give evil spirits a foothold in our lives to start disturbing us in other ways? See, you're, you're going to know this, is that Jesus is a gentleman. Amen? Jesus is a gentleman. That's why he says, I stand at the door and I knock. And whoever opens the door and hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. Jesus is a gentleman. He will not go into your home and into your life until you ask him to, until you open the door to him. But see, Satan is not a gentleman. Satan is there to kill, steal, and destroy. He is a thief. And so unlike Jesus who knocks on the door of your heart and waits for you to open, like a thief, Satan will try to slither into your life if he can find an opening. And see, these, the following things are things that we can sometimes do unwittingly, opening ourselves up to possibly evil spirits getting a foothold. Here are a few. One is this occult practices. Ouija boards, seeing a fortune teller, tarot cards, seances, you know, involvement in other religions or where you're trying to communicate with other spirits other than Jesus. Another one is when you deliberately repeat a sin over and over and over and over. You're almost kind of, you know, almost like you're just kind of digging into the ground more and more and more, giving more room for the devil to start doing stuff. Past hurt or trauma. See, that's not fair, is it? Past hurt and trauma, that's, that, you, you, that was not that person's choice. But maybe that person went through tremendous hurt in the past. Maybe it was a family member who did something to them. Or, or, and, 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 and as a result, you know, it's not fair, but Satan can sometimes use trauma in their lives, past hurt, to create an opening for his evil spirit activity. Another one is dwelling on scary or disturbing thoughts. Is that if you keep on dwelling on, on stuff that's not healthy, that's st- stuff that's destructive, stuff that's, that's disturbing or even scary, well, you know, that, that's why you, know, you want to be careful about entertainment. You want to be careful. I love watching movies. I, I listen to not just Christian music, but I listen to stuff on the radio. But you want to be careful about you know, the books you read, the movies you watch, because you're going to find this. God works in an atmosphere of faith. Satan loves to operate in an atmosphere of fear. 
And so you've got to be careful with that. Another one is bitterness and unforgiveness. Is that if you find that uh, there is a grudge that you keep on holding on to, that is in fact a foothold for Satan to start working even more in your life. Let me give you an example. You know, I, I had uh, a friend called Ray, I have a friend called Ray, and Ray, when he was in elementary school, late elementary school, he went to church and he received Jesus Christ into his life. And he had an authentic, genuine salvation experience. He opened up his heart to Jesus, asked God to forgive him of his sins. Uh, he got baptized. He did all those things and had a genuine salvation experience at that time. But in college, Ray became extremely curious about uh, spirituality that didn't center around Jesus. And so he dove into other religions, especially New Age. And he, he was really into this book called Conversations with God. And uh, he consulted fortune tellers. Uh, what the fortune tellers would tell him he would do. Like, in fact, they told him to change his name, so he changed his name uh, at their advice. And, um, and, and you, know, what, you know, for those of you who are kind of, kind of wondering what, what's so bad about fortune tellers, what a fortune teller is, a fortune teller is a form of divination where a fortune teller is, is, is trying to consult a spirit, not Jesus, but a spirit to give them information that they think is going to be pertinent to the person they're talking to. And that can be, on, on one hand, shockingly accurate sometimes, but also very, very dangerous because it's not Jesus who's providing that stuff. But, you know, I, I got to tell you, devils and evil spirits are powerful. At the same time, not only was he cons con 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 consulting fortune tellers, he was also dealing with some major hurts from his past that had never been healed, uh, struggling with certain addictions that he had as well. And, uh, you know, eventually, you know, he tried to live a relatively normal life. But over time, as he kept on getting more and more into New Age stuff, uh, Ray started sensing a spirit telling him uh, stuff about himself, uh, about who he is, about how he's got special spiritual powers. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you would find Ray kind of just like staring out a window and just almost in a trance-like state. This is just a general, like a normal, smart boy who you know, gets involved in, in these kind of things and is affected in these kind of ways. Friends would talk to him, and sometimes his face would kind of contort. His body would kind of contort in these kind of weird-looking ways. Uh, at the same time that this is happening, Ray all of a sudden became increasingly close to stepping into a church. Um, one time, he stepped into a church, and he felt this compulsion to go up to the, to the stage and grab the mic and start talking when people had to restrain him and bring him out of uh, the, the, the church building, and he's, like in, in, he's outside. He's, like, he's, he's just weeping and crying, going, that wasn't me. That's not me. That, that, that wasn't me doing it. I don't know what happened. And you know, Ray also refused for people to pray for him. For example, I remember there was one time when a Christian friend offered to pray for Ray, and he just refused to, he, he, he ran off. He just, he, he's like, I, I don't want it. And, and he ran off. And that same day later, he hears that same voice that was speaking before saying, go up the mountain. And there's a mountain near, nearby where he lives. And go, he, he, he walks, 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 goes up the mountain. It, it's a little bit dark. And he's, he's just going, and the voice is like, keep on going. And he's, keep on going. He goes, and you know, he ends up in a cemetery. He gets up in the cemetery, and it's dark, and the voice goes, keep on going, and he keeps on going, and without, without kind of watching where he's going, he ends up falling, and you know what he falls into? He falls into a burial plot. He actually falls into a hole that was dug for a dead body to be placed into it. Just it hadn't been placed into it yet. He was the one who was placed into it. By accident. He, he crawls out of that, and, uh, you know, it was one of those situations where one day, you know, Ray finally thinks to himself, I think something is wrong. I think maybe I have an issue. And so Ray, he finally musters the courage to go to, a to go to church. And there, there are people who are singing worship songs to Jesus. He begins to weep uncontrollably. 
And it's like for the first time in his life, since he was in elementary school, he could feel God's love for him expressed through Jesus Christ. People prayed for him. Ray was so touched by God's love. Uh, he decided, you know, I, I, I ran away from my faith. I'm coming back to Jesus. I'm going to get baptized again. And as a result, you know, it was one of those situations where Jesus Christ, what, you, you, might, you might say, you know what, like, you know, this, this was perhaps a physiological issue. Perhaps it was a psychological issue. Perhaps it was a mental health issue. But I can tell you this is what I believe Ray needed more than just medicine, more than just a, psych- a secular psychiatrist talking to him. What he needed was the love of Jesus. What he needed was the power of God in his life. Because there was no question that he had opened up his heart and his life to some spiritual activity that was not centered around Jesus. And as a result, some very unhealthy things took place. And what I learned from that experience with Ray was that if you are involved in any kind of spirituality that doesn't involve Jesus, you're flirting with evil spirits. You might not intentionally be wanting evil spirits to come and to kill, still destroy anything in your life, but you're flirting with evil spirits because Jesus is the one you need. Jesus is the only one who brings the peace that our hearts are looking for. And so what can you do if you are troubled by an evil spirit? What can you do if you find yourself in that position? And it might not be, again, it might not be full-blown demonic possession. We want to kind of remove that stigma today. It's not, not just, you might think, oh, demonic possession, it sounds like I'm crazy. No, you, you might not be demonically possessed, but maybe there is some trouble that an evil spirit is causing you that you need to still be serious about and to deal with. What if that's you? Here are a few things you can do. One is this, know that God loves you unconditionally. God loves you unconditionally. Jesus loves you you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's happened in your past. It doesn't matter what kind of mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter what other people have done. It doesn't change God's love for you. Jesus loves you so much that he went to the cross to pay for every mistake and every sin that we've ever committed so that we could be 100% forgiven, 100% clean, and 100% restored to God. If you believe that, give Jesus Christ a big hand here in this place. That's what he does for you and for me. Jesus wants to set you free. Neither he nor anyone at church is here. Jesus is not here to shame you. We're not here to shame you if that's you. We're not here to condemn you if that's you. It's simply you want to find a safe place where you can meet with Jesus and experience his love once again. Know that Jesus loves you unconditionally. Tell your neighbors, say, God loves you unconditionally. Number two is repent of unconfessed sin. Is that we talked earlier today about how unconfessed sin uh, can be a foothold for the enemy to do things in our lives. And so you want to repent of that stuff. You know, the Bible says if we, are fa- if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so you confess your sins to God. Another one is this, forgive those who've hurt you in the past. We talked about this last week. How forgiveness, even when you don't feel like it, you make the intention to forgive and the feelings will follow. You'll say, okay, Jesus, you died on the cross for me. You've forgiven all of my sins. I will never have to forgive anyone more than you've already forgiven me. And so in Jesus' name, though I don't feel like it, I'm just going to say it by faith. I forgive that person. I forgive that person what they did. When you do that, you're not just setting that person free. You're setting yourself free as well. Number four, in Jesus' name, command evil spirits to get away from you. It's using that authority that Jesus has given us and saying, in Jesus' name, Satan, get away from me. It's in Jesus' name, I proclaim I'm a new creation. Satan has no hold over me anymore. Number five, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Is that not only do you want to ask the evil spirits to leave, you want to ask the Holy Spirit, God's 
peaceful, loving, kind, gentle, merciful, strong, powerful, Holy Spirit to come into your life, to fill the void that that evil spirit might have left. And then finally, if necessary, if you go through all these different steps and you still find that you're, in tr- you're, you're being troubled in some kind of way, that it's time to seek a counselor or a pastor to help you with that. Is this helpful in this place this morning? You know, this is not the kind of topic that I would choose to talk about on a Sunday, but it just happened to be in our game sharing. A sense the Holy Spirit may have wanted to do something there. And if this is speaking today, we want to give you an opportunity to respond. You know, finally, let me just say this one last thing with you today, is that if someone ever comes up to you, maybe it's your son or your daughter, or it's a friend of yours, and they say with a sincere look on their, on their face, you know, um, I think I might have an evil spirit issue. Or they may not even understand it that fully. They, they might even be like, I, I just think that there's something bad in me. Or I think there's something going on that is not just me. Then don't laugh it off. Don't dismiss it. Um, you want to be a safe person that they can share that, that, that struggle with. And you want to, you know, be a great listener. Try to understand where they're coming from. Again, don't go to snap judgment and go, oh, my daughter's demon possessed. No, you don't want to necessarily do that. But what you want to do is you want to just kind of understand the situation, recognize that maybe, maybe there, are, there, there it's an evil spirit issue. Maybe it's other things. But you want to be careful. You want to be wise. You want to be sensitive. You want to be discerning. You want to be loving most of all. Amen. Amen. Take them seriously. And if you're not sure what to do, talk to your small group leader. Talk to your pastor. Because Jesus came to set us free. He came so that you can have life and life to the full. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But because Jesus Christ is greater than Satan and every evil spirit, you don't have to fear the work of the enemy in your life. Because Jesus Christ, we can always say, the best is yet to come. Amen? Let's give God a big hand, a big shout in this place this morning. Let's all stand to our feet. Let's respond to God in this place. I'm going to ask the worship team to lead us in this song. And we're going to respond to God right now. Would you turn neighbor, give him a high five and say, because of Jesus, you don't need to be afraid. Tell him that right now. Because of Jesus, you don't need to be afraid. Amen. Amen. I just want to invite you to respond to God today. Today we've been learning that even though evil spirits are real, there's no one and nothing that compares to Jesus Christ. He is the name above every name. And it was Jesus who, because he saw that we were far away from God, he died on the cross for our sins to pay for all of our mistakes so that we could no longer be separated from God's love, so we could have access to God's presence, so we could have a relationship with God once again. It's through Jesus Christ that we have the greatest protection against evil. It's through Jesus Christ that we have full and assured forgiveness over our sins. It's through Jesus Christ that we have eternal life and citizenship in heaven. It's through Jesus Christ that we have a real hope that is greater than the grave. And so if you want that forgiveness today, if you want that hope today, and you want to invite Jesus Christ to come into your life, to invite his Holy Spirit to fill your life, why don't you just lift your hand to God today? We want to pray with you and for you right now. Just lift your hand to God right now. Just lift your hand to heaven right now. Let the height of your hands reflect how much you need him today. And we're just going to pray this prayer with me right now as this is a way to invite Jesus Christ, the one spirit we can trust, the one who's the name of every name, to come and to forgive every sin and to come and to fill your life by his Holy Spirit. Why don't you pray this with me right now and say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you for your unconditional love that reaches to me. Today, I open up my heart and I say thank you for dying on the cross to pay for my sins, for rising again to give me life. I open up my heart 
to receive you, Jesus, into my life. Forgive me of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you pray that prayer or you just believe that, just give God a big hand and shout right now.